Does it sound familiar? Do you think that they've been planning this for more than a couple days? What's next? Our great civilization has come upon a moment of reckoning. They already took your free speech. They already muzzled you. The wealthy got super wealthy. This is not about freedom or personal choice. And the average everyday American, the affirmative task we have now, uh, create a new world order, got used as a pawn in their sick little game. I'm telling you right now, you're a slave. You want to know what the biggest problem is in our country? You're an inconvenience to all of these people. Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Conservative Daily Podcast. This is the evening's episode. I am your host, Jake Frejo. And as of now, Joe and or Apollo are not available. They actually had to go downtown, uh, downtown Denver to the Capitol to join Mike Lindell. As Mike uh, is advocating for Tina Peters, the uh, clerk, Colorado uh, clerk, uh, running for Secretary of State against Jenna Sleeswald. And uh, it was an interesting day. So we will probably have them on in the morning to recap. Uh, footnotes uh, Mike Lindell was served by Eric the Coomer. Coomer. And uh, it, the clown show keeps going on. But uh, for this night's episode, we are going to run a recap of the wonderful magical kingdom that is Disney, uh, a, a corporation uh, founded by someone who uh, sympathized with uh, some guy with a little mustache in Germany in the 1940s. And now, over those generations, has been quite literally touching kids for generations. So before we get into that, I'll get the ad read out of the way. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Liberty Cigar or Liberty Cigars, a wonderful owner of Liberty Cigars. Uh, John Adams has assembled a six uh, president set uh, box set series of cigars. Each uh, cigar is different from uh, the other in flavor profile and uh, the historical context of the individual represented on the cigar. And if you order as a conservative daily audience listener, you will get 17.76% off with coupon code Liberty. And in that set, you will uh, receive a George Washington John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, and John Quincy Adams Cigar. Thank you. So, on the subject of corporate America touching children, uh, we've seen it unfold relatively uh, over the past few weeks that Disney is one of the largest or most outspoken opponents to the Don't Say Gay bill, which doesn't actually once reference gay in the text. It does, however, reference the inability for a teacher to groom children between the ages of pre-K and third grade, which, from my reference and recollection, is a five-year-old to an 11 or a 12-year-old. So in keeping with that and keeping with exposing what corporate intentions are, Mr. Producer, I'd like you to pull up cut A1, please. After Disney's Don't Say Gay debacle, Glad CEO warns Hollywood, don't wait until you're in the hot seat. When the way I take that, it says, play along so you keep your job, no matter the cost, no matter the consequences of what it is you need to sell. You need to sell it if you want to save your own ass. And it seems to me that Disney, along with a line of other woke corporations, is doing so. 
So I pulled together some videos, and I call it the collection of pedophiles that have been employed by the Disney Corporation. Cut A2, Mr. Producer, is one of them. We've got three total, and then we're going to hop into a completely different controversial subject, which I think many of you might enjoy. A2, please. A Disney Cruise Line employee has pleaded not guilty to sexually molesting a 13-year-old girl aboard the ship Disney Dream. West News' Dan Billow reports the alleged attack took place while the ship was moored in Port Canaveral. I'm not so fun. Police say Ahmed Sofian of Indonesia was the steward for a family vacationing on one of Disney's cruise ships. When the girl was alone in the family's room, a police report says Sofian went in and started holding her, kissing her, and touching her inappropriately over the top of her clothes. She protested, but police say Sofian only tightened his grip. When she said her parents were coming, he finally left. The alleged crime was immediately reported, and Sofian was taken off the ship and put in jail. In the cruise industries, cruise ship workers are hired by the thousands, almost all of them, from foreign countries. They live on the ship, the pay is low, and sometimes it's hard to get criminal background check information from foreign governments. I've received information that there's a uh, hold on him Department of Homeland Security anyway. Disney executives say they have no tolerance for what the crew member is accused of. Disney passengers say they trust the entertainment giant. Well, Disney, they have like safety, like words you're supposed to give. For, nobody can take your child. Like you have all sorts of different codes and safety things that you have to use. A little concerned, you know, try to keep the kids close to us. A judge ordered Sophie held without bail. At Port Canaveral, Dan Below, West 2 News. Stunning. Surprising. Entrust your children with us and we'll see them to safe hands. And in that case, the hands of an unvetted international employee that likes to touch children. Mr. Producer, A3, another child molester. Just in, a Disney Cruise Line employee is accused of molesting a 10-year-old boy in the Children's Center on board a ship that set sail from Port Miami. Now, according to his arrest report, 24-year-old Oliver Lovett is a youth entertainment host on the Disney Magic. The alleged victim said that he was playing inside the Oceaneer Kids Lab. This was on the ship back in April. Authorities say that surveillance video inside the Children's Center captured both incidents. We just received this statement right here from a Disney spokesperson. It says, quote, we have zero tolerance for this type of unacceptable behavior. When we became aware of the allegations, it was reported to law enforcement and the crew member was removed from duty permanently. Youth engagement specialist. Well, he was engaging with the children. But these are the companies that the mainstream politicians want you to get behind. These are the companies that corporate America funnels through the ideological shift they want to see come to fruition in this country. And for the grand finale, Mr. Producer, A4. Deputies in Florida have charged a Disney cruise worker with raping a 13-year-old girl at his home. Police say the man you see here, 53-year-old Keith Seitz, raped a girl multiple times between 2016 and 2019, beginning when she was just 10 years old. He's charged tonight with five sex crimes, including sexual battery on a child. A Disney official says he's on unpaid leave. Stunning. Stunning that this is the future of what even at the highest levels of government uh, the American population is going to be faced with. That a Supreme Court justice who has gone easy on uh, child uh, sex torturers, and that is not exaggeration, that is, that is not hyperbole, but a candidate for the highest court in the land has been 
multiple times caught going easy on the types of people that we just showed you, and that is the state of this country. Mr. Producer, I'll remind everyone that we do have open lines today, so if you are interested in calling in the net, either for this subject or the next subject, uh, the number is one eight 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 four four one 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 two one. And Mr. Producer, if a troll happens to slip through, it would make my night. So with that, let's uh, let's hop on to A five. Uh, California being ahead of the curve with everything when it comes to social do-goodery, yet can't manage to keep garbage and human feces out of their streets, is now proposing a actually approved California city approves income program for transgender non-binary residents. So what it uh, w w without uh, having to prove residence status as well. So it's another uh, handout, uh, what one would call a reparation for people that identify as non-binary or transgender with payments up to $900 a month for said individuals. You know what would be interesting, Mr. Producer, is that if our very own transgender journalist, who is the furthest thing from a journalist, Sean Heidi Beetle, were to go and go to California, your journalism, I can't imagine you doing you that well financially because you don't actually report on anything. You just stalk people, as is, is evidenced by what you did at the Capitol today. No one cares that every 30 seconds you post some new update on your Twitter. No one's watching you. And get off Joe Oldman's back. If you had a set, which I know you do, you'd come on the show like a real journalist and actually report and, and, and debate like a real journalist, but you won't. So offer to you, go to California, please. They're paying people handsomely. Mr. Producer, do we have that video? That cut? We have actually a, a live a live uh, a photo from uh, that journalist at, uh, at the Capitol today. Oh, there she is. Did somebody say Beetle? Again, call in. Give me your thoughts. Phone number is 1-888-441-1121. And now, you can take that down, Mr. Producer. It's disgusting. Now, we get into the good subject. This is a subject that Joe had to not be here for for me to cover because I do believe in reparations. And we'll get into that. So, again, call in. Listen to what I have to say. And then let me know when, when, when I pose this to you. So the idea of reparations has been reverberating around this idea that all whites are born racist, that all whites are the descendants of slaveholders, and that black Americans must receive compensation for the disadvantages that they've had in our country. And I agree, but not in the sense that the left wants to sell it to you, not in the sense that the average uh, white-collar, elitist, dynastic a politician or media pundit will sell it to you because I agree the establishment much of it white leftist Democrat politicians have been robbing the African-American communities blind for decades actually ever since the slaves were freed the Democrat establishment which was the enslaving establishment has gone off on some social justice crusade that is only that it's only words there is, no, there is no action. It is only talk. They talk the talk, but they do not walk the talk. So with that, I'd propose this radical idea, that African Americans in this country do deserve to be compensated for the things that 
were done to them by the radical leftists, by the Democrats, by the establishment that now wants to prop them up and make them a poster child for their campaign and nothing more. We look at, we look at the BLM activists that raised millions, bought a $6 million house in cash. So I'd go to people like that and I'd say, it's time to start giving reparations. But they won't because that's their agenda. That's been their agenda for decades. So Mr. Producer... I don't think there's anyone that's more qualified than to offer her insight on reparations than the first, actually, yes, yes, the first black vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris. So please play cut a six. Thank you. Do you support reparations for black people? Well, listen, again, we had over 200 years of slavery. We had Jim Crow for almost a, a, a century. We had legalized discrimination, segregation, and now we have it, it, le segregation and discrimination that is not legal but still exists and is a barrier to progress. We have disparities around housing. We have disparities around education. We have disparities around income. And we have to recognize that everybody did not start out on an equal footing in this country. And in particular, black people have not. And so we have got to recognize that and do something about that and give folks a lift up. That's why, for example, I'm proposing the LIFT Act. Give people who are making $100,000 or less as a family a tax credit, which will benefit and uplift 60% of black families who are in poverty. So by default, it affects black families, but there's not a particular policy for African Americans that you would explore. But no, if you look at the, the reality of who will benefit from certain policies, when you take into account that they're not starting at, at, at the same place and they're not, stand, they're not starting on equal footing, it will directly benefit black children, black families, black homeowners. Because the disparities are so significant. So if we focus on the specific issues that have resulted in the greatest disparities, and we understand that that's part of why we're doing it, Listen, the, the reality also is this. Any policy that will benefit black people will benefit all of society. Let's be clear about that. Let's really be clear about that. So I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm going to do something that's only going to benefit black people. No, because whatever benefits that black family will benefit that community and society as a whole and the country. Right? Fantastic. Now, who better than the vice president? than the president, and let's look at his stance on reparations. A7, Mr. Producer, we have the wonderful Jen Psaki uh, w skillfully dodging the claims of does Joe Biden support reparations? We'll get into this. I see you in the comments. I see that you're very angered in, in comments saying that I'm way off base. I'm not. You'll get my point. You'll see it. Mr. Producer, A7. On Capitol Hill, House lawmakers are once again taking a look at the idea of reparations for African Americans. They have reintroduced a bill to study the effects of slavery and develop solutions to bridge the economic, educational, and health disparities between descendants of slaves and white Americans. News Nation reporter Raquel Martin has more on this from Washington. 
For the second time in two years, House Democrats discussed calls for reparations to African Americans. The federal government must account for its ongoing role in perpetuating, supporting, and upholding white supremacy. Missouri Democratic Congresswoman Cori Bush says for generations, the country has systematically disenfranchised African American families. When white soldiers came back from fighting abroad, they were given housing preferences and education subsidies. My grandfathers, Ulysses and Clifton Blakeney, were denied those benefits. It is long overdue. Kathy Masaoka says descendants of slaves deserve the same healing as Japanese Americans who were granted reparations after being forced into internment camps. This is a chance for many black voices to be heard and for the black community to express what kind of reparations it is owed. The current bill would only create a federal commission to study reparations, but so far has no Republican support. I can't imagine a more divisive, polarizing, or unjust measure. California Congressman Tom McClintock said it would be unfair to punish white Americans today for their ancestors' mistakes. And Herschel Walker, an athlete and Trump supporter, says reparations are counterproductive and promote separation. Who is black? What percentage of blight must you be to receive reparation? Wednesday, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said President Biden supports the commission idea, but stops short of backing the bill. Uh, it's working its way through Congress. In Washington, Raquel Martin. I agree. I think it's a wonderful thing, and we'll get into that. But we'll get into that after this sponsor read. Today's episode, this evening's episode, is brought to you by IP Vanish. Mr. Producer. Tired of feeling like someone's always watching you on the internet? Maybe advertisers know a little bit too much about you, or you're concerned about the privacy of your identity. Using incognito mode won't solve the problem either. IPVanish VPN is here to protect your right to privacy and help you stay anonymous online. IPVanish helps you safely browse the internet without exposing your private details to third parties, such as hackers, your ISB, or advertisers. You can use your IPVanish on unlimited devices without sacrificing on speed, your computers, tablets, phones, even devices like your Fire Stick when you're streaming media. Whether you're at home or in public, don't go online anymore without using IPVanish. And for Conservative Daily audience listeners and viewers, they're offering an incredible 70% off their yearly plan for our listeners with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Essentially, that's like getting nine months for free. IPVanish is super easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're instantly protected. Take your privacy back today with the brand rated 4.6 out of 5 on Trustpilot. Go to ipvanish.com daily and use promotional co code daily, that is D-A-I-L-Y, and claim your 70% savings today. So my point in all of this, as everyone's losing their minds in the comments, is that reparations seem to be a wonderful talking point of the left. And as with most uh, agenda items that get these pieces of trash elected, None of them actually come to fruition. So I'll call bluff. I'll call their bullshit on this. Is that the left for generations has done everything, whether you look at comments said by L LBJ, right, saying that we're going to have the N-words voting for a uh, Democrat for 150 years. We'll just give them a little bit of money. And it's just teasing a dog with a stake on a string. That's what the left is about. That's what Democrats are about, is virtue signal, virtue signal, rob and steal, and then hope they can do it all over again the next four years when it comes time to get on the podium and con the American people into voting for them. So my master idea here for the idea of reparations, well, if you just noticed, the federal government or the House just passed a bill legalizing marijuana, which I find quite 
it, it hasn't cleared the Senate yet, but I think it will. I think it will because it's just another opportunity for tax revenue. Because as we all know, anytime you look at history, the only reason something is illegal is because the government hasn't figured out a way to get their tax dollar off of it. You look at alcohol, you look at tobacco, you look at all these things that are horrible, cause hundreds of thousands of deaths a year to the American public, but they're still legal. Why are they legal? Because they rake in billions of dollars a year. So Mr. Producer, ready, cut A9, please. And cut A9 goes on to show you that the federal government, after all their grandstanding, after people like Kamala Harris as prosecutor in California locked away black families for decades or whatever her tenure was as chief prosecutor in California, and Biden pushed the three strikes 1994 crime bill, which specifically targeted African Americans, the people that are in the White House now virtue signaling to you, telling you why black lives matter, actually don't think they matter. In fact, they've destroyed more black lives than quite possibly the KKK. But then again, that's not surprising because after all, the Democrat Party is the party of slavery. As much as they'd like to re revise history and go back and change the definition of uh, Republican to Democrat from the mid-1800s to 1860s to the Civil War time, it's a load of crap. So, is it not coincidental that the same people that have had their hands in most atrocities committed to African Americans in this country are now telling you they care about them and that they want to give money to them? You can't forget about Planned Parenthood either. Exactly. All of these things. I mean, they've destroyed the inner cities after the slaves were released. They went up, you know, Great Migration went up into the in industrial areas in the Northeast, which that's what the Roaring Twenties were. That was uh, the Harlem Renaissance was the byproduct and the epitome of culture coming out of inner cities and flourishing, booming cities, uh, uh, African-Americans, massive contributions to jazz music. And then what happened? Well... You can't control a person that has their freedom. And so then we progressively watched, and I, no pun intended when I say progressively watched, that cities like Baltimore, cities like New York, Detroit, Dearborn, Michigan, all of these cities that were hubs for African-American culture and influence and growth and prestige over the following few decades, following the 1920s, became destroyed. They became crime-ridden, drug-infested, impoverished, and all at the hands of the same people that are now telling you black lives matter and black people should get reparations. So without further ado, I'm going to show you a video about the House's push to legalize marijuana. And I'm going to draw that all back to the idea of reparations. So Mr. Producer, A9. If the House of Representatives gets its way, this will no longer be a federal crime. On Friday, the House voted to remove marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act list and sent the bill to the Senate. We are here today to vote to get America high. That's the way most House Republicans seem to see it. And what are Democrats doing today? Legalizing drugs. Legalizing drugs and using American tax dollars to kickstart and prop up the marijuana industry. But Democrats call comments like that scare tactics. It's like they saw reefer madness in middle school and never got over it. If passed by the Senate and signed by the president, the bill would drop some federal penalties and also invest in areas hard hit by the war on drugs. But House members disagree on whether those communities would benefit. The war on drugs disproportionately impacted uh, black, 
Latino and minority communities. And I like they how she has tore the them accent apart there. with a very targeted incarceration strategy. What's worse, we want to target those individuals and communities who are historically most impacted by the harm of illegal drugs and provide federal funding to help enable criminals to open and operate now legal drug businesses. Even if the bill becomes a federal law, it can still be a crime in individual states, depending where you live. In Washington, Carolina. That's my point. That's my point. We have the left. The entire the entire Democrat establishment is saying, you know, uh, marijuana charges, marijuana should be legal because it's 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 specifically targeted uh, the African-American community. And I'm from New York. I spent many years in Brooklyn. I spent many years in underprivileged areas that you'd go a few days and you'd be lucky if you didn't hear a gunshot go off. You'd go maybe a week if someone didn't die from gun violence within a few block radius of your house. And so my point in this is that the same establishment that is now saying, well, let let the people eat weed, or as Marie Antoinette said, let the people eat cake, are now saying, let weed be legal. These are the same people that had no problem when corporate big pharma unloaded all over the streets what would create the largest drug and humanitarian crisis domestically, the opioid and opiate crisis domestically. But they didn't care because many of the families that own those firms those big pharma firms like Oxycontin, Oxycodone, they were filling their pockets in campaign contributions from the companies that were flooding our streets with drugs. And now is it any surprise that once the damage has been done, now they're saying, well, let's legalize it because there are clear studies connecting uh, uh, cannabis use as a safer alternative to the drugs that perpetuated the opioid uh, crisis, which then uh, turned into the heroin crisis. And you go to places like San Francisco, you go to places like Philly, you go to Baltimore, you go pretty much anywhere that there are skyscrapers in this country, and the streets are awash with drug-addicted, hopeless people, and the only people they have to blame are the people that are still selling them this idea that they're there to help them, which I find interesting. So I do agree when AOC, the idiot from the Bronx, and I can say that because, well, I'm from New York, A10, Mr. Producer, I do agree that marijuana charges, marijuana arrests do disproportionately affect the African-American community. And now, all of a sudden, the stewards of black rights and and, and justice and reparations and, and race equality are saying, let's legalize it. Well, my question to the to, to them would be how much of that revenue that's going into federal coffers, if this bill gets approved, which I think it will, how much is going back to the community? Actually, calls to mind the same question. How much of the money raised by Black Lives Matter actually went back to the community? So this is a chart showing you that most of the people police are arresting aren't kingpins. So it's 50% of all drug arrests in 2010 were for marijuana. Now, the interesting component of that is the majority of that 52% were actually African-American. And from that majority, another majority were from the inner cities. Coincidentally, the inner cities destroyed by radical Democrat policies that never, ever once wanted them to leave because simply their value in life, their value to the government was their vote. 
not their well-being, but their value to the government was their vote. Let's, let's get a little bit deeper into the statistics of this uh, federal uh, overreach, this federal desire to seize an industry that for 30 years everyone in Washington locked up and destroyed black families across the country. A11, Mr. Producer. So A11 is a breakdown of the dispensaries that are in Baltimore. It's an article out of the Baltimore Sun. Medical cannabis has grown into a 600 million a year industry in Maryland. Now, it's not 600 million a year across the country. That is one state. So we're talking about some serious cash here that the federal government is rubbing their hands together, thinking, how can we get this? Especially after decades of persecuting and prosecuting the least advantaged people in this country. It's amazing how you can reinvent yourself and then walk the people, walk the sheep back into accepting the very rhetoric from the people that screwed them in the first place. So again, $600 million a year industry in Maryland since the first pre-rolled joint was sold legally in 2017, but black Baltimoreans are largely left out. I'm not surprised. If you look at BLM, if you look at the organizers, they pick a few people of color to represent them, just like the music industry, just like anything to do with the record labels. A bunch of white people look to seize and destroy opportunity for African-American communities in this country. Baltimore, which is 62% black, has 10 dispensaries. Some of them are locally owned. Others are owned by multi-state corporations. None have majority black ownership, and only one dispensary is located in a black neighborhood. Now, Maryland is poised to legalize adult cannabis, meaning more dispensaries, more jobs, and more money. Lawrence Brown wants to make sure that places like West Baltimore don't get left out again. Well, Lawrence Brown, you can take that down, Mr. Producer. Well, Lawrence Brown, I'm sorry to inform you that time and time again, you will be. Because that's the left's mantra. The left's mantra is to pull on the heartstrings of the people. That was the whole idea of hope and change. And hope and change only meant hope for this, but we're going to strip all your freedoms away. So Mr. Brown, I wouldn't count on it. I wouldn't count on a bunch of selected individuals in Washington, D.C. ever looking out for your interest. History repeats itself. It's been going on for decades. A12, Mr. Producer. Here's a nice uh, breakdown of the amount, uh, the percentage of marijuana arrests that are African-American, something to the tune of 90-plus percent, A12. Really a historical decision by the Atlanta, Atlanta City Council changing the law as it relates to marijuana. We're talking about the decriminalization of marijuana, which means that instead of getting arrested, instead of getting charged like that, it just becomes a $75 fine and doesn't really end up on your record. Um, why is this such a big deal? Because of some of the racial implications that have come out related to marijuana arrests. This all relates to marijuana underneath an ounce. Chris Hopper is with us tonight, and Chris has some numbers for us as it relates to who's getting arrested and who's not getting arrested for this. And um, 
it seems like African-Americans seem to get the brunt of all this. Yeah, so take a look at these numbers here, Vinny. If we can take this graphic full, it really gives us a better look at this. These are the 2016 arrests in the city of Atlanta. There were 834 people booked for one ounce or less in 2016. 93% of those people were black, mostly men. We also know that almost every person had one charge, and that was for marijuana. The average stay in jail was four days for less than an ounce. Atlanta Police Chief Erica Shields had some really interesting comments about this today and also the new law that's been passed. Let's take a listen to her. Marijuana use is still illegal in Atlanta. It's still illegal in the state. And yes, you can go to jail for it, even if it's less than an ounce. So that message has to get out there. There's been some misinformation. That being said, do I want us locking up folks with a bag of weed? No, not particularly. I mean, if you get it, and it's incident to an arrest, I get it, you gotta charge the person. But is that, is locking up folks with an ounce, less than an ounce of marijuana gonna impact criminal activity in Atlanta? No, it's not. And, and Chris, one of the discussions that was online relating yeah. to, the, to the numbers was that um, there's more African-Americans in Atlanta, right. and some people are throwing around numbers like 90% of Atlanta is African-American, that's why the arrest numbers are 90%. Yeah, that's just not true. You take a look at the 2010 census. These are, no, are the numbers here. In the city of Atlanta, 54% is black, 38% white, and about 5% Hispanic or Latino. So clears that right, up you a little bit. You can take that down, Mr. Producer. Obviously, some people throwing out. Stunning numbers. Stunning numbers. And, and then we look and see that these people in Washington are saying, wait, hold on a second. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. For reference, the alcohol industry on tax Tax revenue alone, the U.S. government pulls in $10 billion plus in tax revenue, alcohol-related. Tobacco-related is another $10 billion plus. It's another $20 billion right there. And these, things, these are things, these are substances that are undeniably deadly to the American population. So for decades, COVID started, right, pandemic, everything shut down. What were the few things that were allowed to stay open? Liquor stores? corner stores, bodegas that sell cigarettes. And we go dive even a little bit deeper that cigarette producers, Newport, there was a period in time in which inner city communities, Newport menthol cigarettes, had their ads placed over subway signs in New York City and other cities across the country. Again, specifically targeting inner city black communities. And then years after the fact, it comes out that menthol cigarettes are actually the most harmful to you but they're still legal, go down to your store tonight. You'll find out. You buy alcohol, buy a handle of vodka, and a pack of cigarettes, maybe even a carton. But this, all of a sudden now, is something that for decades had been stigmatized and uh, uh, delegitimized. And now, all of a sudden, when it comes to a cash grab, as the Democrats, as the establishment seeks to send all of your money overseas, as they seek to suffer or make you suffer and suffocate you with inflation on fuel, on food, housing, everything, as they seek to bankrupt the average American, now they see more opportunity for money because that's why these people get in power. Money. That's it. They don't care about you. They don't care about me. They specifically don't care about the African-American community, but they will use them to advance their narratives and enrich themselves with a vote every two to four years. Before we get in a little bit deeper to show the hypocrisy of the people that are in power right now, I'd like to remind everyone, this is our last ad read for the day, that tonight's episode is brought to you by CrowdHealth. 
Crowd health, uh, the problem with insurance. Crowd health isn't health insurance. That's why it works. There are no deductibles, networks, complicated exclusions, or co-pays. See any doctor you want, pay the first $500, and submit any bills from there. The crowd health community takes care of the rest. Crowd health is a new way to pay for healthcare. No doctor networks, no huge premiums or high deductibles, no surprises. How crowd health works. Crowd health is putting the community back in community healthcare. Pay one low monthly total to fund your account, less than $200 a month for most people, and 100% of your monthly contribution directly funds and reduces the healthcare costs of the community. Unlike insurance, you are not limited by doctor networks. And with that, they'll lower your costs by 60%. Unlike insurance, CrowdHealth succeeds by keeping its members happy and not by driving up the price. CrowdHealth helps members shop for, a great, for great care at a fair price, makes payments to doctors and members as quickly as possible, and negotiates on the community's behalf when unexpected bills arise. Stop paying health insurance premiums, uh, health insurance companies your hard-earned dollars. Go to joincrowdhealth.com now and experience freedom from health insurance. Right now, you can get your first six months for just $99 per month. That's almost $50% uh, 50 off the normal price and a lot less than a high-deductible health care program. Just go to crowdhealth.com and use promo code FREEDOM at sign up. Let's join health, health crowd, join crowdhealth.com. Promo code FREEDOM, F-R-E-E-D-O-M. That was a mouthful, Mr. Producer. You crushed it. Well, getting better on it. I really got into the reparations argument. Oh, you, you're feeling it. You're feeling it. So the establishment that has marketed to the African-American community. Actually, don't, I don't even know who they're marketing it to. Usually guilty people project their insecurities. So we're looking at an establishment going around saying, oh, we're not racist. You shouldn't be racist. Oh, everyone shouldn't be racist. But really it calls to question, it, are they doing that as a deflection from the very fact that they are racist? And based on my research and based off their track record and their own personal statements, I would say Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and the rest of the swamp that is around them is very racist because to them, virtue signaling racism is profitable. That's it. Just a dollar sign. So let's dive into how the current establishment has differed from their current stance on race relations in this country. Mr. Producer, A13, this is a bit of a long one. I mean, it's about three minutes, and I'm going to play the whole thing because you get to hear uh, a, little mo a little more coherent version of the resident-in-chief that is Joe Biden and his unabashed degradation and condescension towards the African-American community in 1994 as he's advocating for the 1994 crime bill, which is also known as the Three Strikes Law, and of which ended up locking up tens of thousands of African Americans on repeat drug charges, many of them marijuana-related. So, Mr. Producer, A13. One step is you must take back the streets. And you take back the streets by more cops, more prisons, more physical protection for the people. I hope this crime bill, when it passes, the Biden-Hatch crime bill, as it becomes law, God willing, I hope that we will have ended once and for all this notion that is a hangover from the 60s, that somehow 
Democrats are weak on crime and Democratic presidents are weak on crime and Republicans are tough on crime. The truth is every major crime bill since 1976 that's come out of this Congress, every minor crime bill has had the name of the Democratic senator from the state of Delaware, Joe Biden, on that bill. We must take back the streets. It doesn't matter whether or not the person that is accosting your son or daughter or my son or daughter, my wife, your husband, my mother, your parents, it doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to have to uh, become a, a social uh, become socialized into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask what made them do this. They must be taken off the street. That's number one. And that is, unless we do something about that cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing, because they literally, I yield myself three more minutes, because they literally have not been socialized, they literally have not had an opportunity we should focus on them now, not out of a liberal instinct for love, brother, and humanity, although I think that's a good instinct, but for simple, pragmatic reasons. If we don't, they will, or a portion of them will, become the predators 15 years from now. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets. You're looking at the fellow who was one of the primary architects of the Sentencing Commission. You know what the basic premise of the Sentencing Commission is? I know the presiding officer knows. It was the first time in 80 years we rejected the notion that the condition of sentencing must be related to how long it would take to rehabilitate. I'm the guy that said rehabilitation, when it occurs, we don't understand it and notice it. And when we, even when we notice it and we know it occurs, we don't know why. So you cannot make rehabilitation a condition for release. That's why in our system, there's the federal system, you serve 85% of your time. I remember when it was going on, when I was making these arguments in the late 70s, they used to call it Biden's same time for the same crime provision. Fascinating. You know, he, he, he stopped short of, of calling people, uh, or African Americans specifically, calling them directly, but he talks about them in a subhuman context. That's not surprising because of the very same individual that now squats and runs the White House and is very successfully running this country into the ground, had also chosen, or whoever his handlers are, also chose Kamala Harris. Mr. Producer A14, Kamala Harris is, uh, to her own accord, a steward for the African-American community, even though she locked up thousands of them. As district attorney, over 8,000 people were arrested for marijuana charges in seven years. Almost 2,000 of those arrested were imprisoned during an interview with The Breakfast Club in February 2019, which is, I think, when she referenced smoking weed herself with Tupac, even though Tupac was dead. Kamala laughed as she admitted to smoking weed herself while she was in college. 
The imprisonment of our people for marijuana is even more upsetting when we think of the white companies that are now making millions from selling weed while our brothers and sisters rot in jail. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but that's the people in power. That's the people like Biden. That's the people like Kamala Harris. You can thank them. The very people that run around in this charade of racial equity sold out their own people. And now they're in power and now they're getting rich. So they don't really care what you have to say. So good luck. Maybe vote wiser next time. Maybe don't take the, the narrative that orange man bad and orange man white, which means orange man hates black people. Maybe, maybe dive a little bit deeper into the details and see the truth as it is, not what is being fed to you as the truth. Mr. Producer, A15. Uh, just to clarify, she referenced smoking in a car uh, with a song playing that hadn't been released. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. But I mean, look, Joe Biden was a truck driver. You know, he did this, he did that. And he, uh, everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. So are you surprised? No. A15, please. Harris opposed reforming the three strikes law, which meant if you got caught the first time with a joint, strike one. If you got caught second time with a joint, strike two. Third time, same joint. You're going to jail for a bunch of years. Not a problem for her. She's the vice president now. Vice president candidate has repeatedly supported the three strikes laws, also known as the habitual offender law. So it did not matter what you did just as long as you did it three times, and then the consequences and the repercussions and the sentences were significant. So she opposed reforming it. The three strikes law is when an individual is sentenced to life in prison after they're convicted of three crimes. The law was adopted by California in 1994. That was the video clip of the resident-in-chief advocating to clean up the streets. And by 2001, 50,000 people had been sentenced under the law and about 12,000 prisoners, prisoners were facing a minimum of 25 years in prison. Under this law, African people are, were imprisoned at a rate 12 times higher than whites. African people make up 7% of California's population, but a whopping 30% of California's overall prison population. They also make up 45% of third strikers serving life sentences. So uh, rounding up 50% of third striker uh, sentences are African-American. And who's to blame for that? Apparently Trump. Apparently Trump is. This anti-African law was supported by Kamala. It left many black families devastated as husbands were separated from wives and fathers separated from their children. This also provided cheap labor to be exploited by the capitalist prison industry, also known as the prison industrial complex. Biden and Kamala love it. Let's pull up the real interest. Why all of a sudden does it matter? As I said earlier, that the only reason something is illegal is because the government hasn't figured out a way to make their money off of it. And the government likes to spend money, spent $14 billion to Ukraine, mainly to cover up the fact that the Biden family is implicated in a vast international web of uh, treason. But We'll just ignore that because the mainstream media also likes to ignore that. A16, Mr. Producer. Now we understand why all of a sudden marijuana matters. Marijuana didn't matter when the opioid epidemic was being thrown all across the country. Many, uh, many of those uh, cases, much of, I mean, not cases, but the origins of the, the, 
the substance that made its way to the streets through uh, the pen and paper of accredited doctors writing pre- uh, prescriptions, drug dealers with degrees. That's what I like to call doctors. Uh, they, that that uh, the opium that came from that came from the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Taliban actually just put out a statement now about how much uh, American CIA influence had in dispersing opium from the poppy fields of the Middle East all across the country to destroy the American society by having everyone become unhinged drug addicts. And so now all of a sudden, the responsible alternative is stigmatized. The responsible alternative is now very profitable. This is the title of the article is The Future of Marijuana Industry in America by uh, Deborah D'Souza. It's the world's most commonly cultivated, trafficked, and used drug. As the push for legalization at home and abroad grows, marijuana is garnering significant attention from investors. Keyword, investors. When the money matters, things become legal. Manufacturers and researchers. Despite the plant being illegal under federal law as a Schedule One drug, the U.S. legal marijuana industry was estimated at $13.6 billion in 2019, with 340,000 jobs devoted to the handling of plants, according to New Frontier data. A total of 35 states and the District of Columbia have legalized marijuana for medical use, 16 of which allow adults to legally use the substance for recreational use as of April 2021. And that number may continue to rise as more people are accepting the idea of legalizing marijuana across the United States. So, $13.6 billion. Mr. Producer, A17. Just for reference, $13.6 billion trumps any of the tax revenue that comes into the uh, federal government's coffers from tobacco sales. Causes hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of deaths a year. But COVID is the most important thing we're facing. 12.30, uh, $12.35 billion U.S. dollars in tax revenue. A18, Mr. Producer. Let's go to alcohol. Alcohol, another uh, culprit of hundreds of thousands of uh, American deaths, destructions of families, addiction, uh, you, you know, homelessness, homelessness, degeneracy, excise tax revenue from alcoholic beverages accounted to $10 billion in 2019, 10% of total excise receipts. These are different, uh, they're different tax rates for distilled spirits, wine, and beer. So now we all see it start to add up, right? Yeah, $13.6 billion versus the two largest legal vices in this country are $20 billion. So now, now that their gears are turning, they want to sell out the very... They want to take that industry from the very people that they spent locking up for decades. As I've said many times, locking up the African-American community for decades for a substance that really shouldn't be defined as a substance. Actually, as I said earlier, a safer alternative to many of the mainstream pharmaceuticals that are rammed into Americans' mouths and, 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 and used to create clients for life, as Big Pharma loves. Clients for life. Where does that sound familiar? A client for life. Well, you might need to get a fourth booster, fifth booster, and at a certain point you lose track because Big Pharma loves to make money off of screwing the American people and while simultaneously destroying their health. So is it any surprise that all of a sudden now it becomes important? But then again, I also think there's another reason why that it's important. For as much as marijuana is useful, for as much as it is a safe alternative to dangerous pharmaceutical uh, uh, you know, comparison, right, that 
it it becomes something that has a numbing effect for the masses. So there's there's a dual component here. As as the establishment wishes to distract the American public from the damage that they have done by enriching themselves with shutting down the world over the course of COVID, for robbing you of your freedoms, robbing you of your money, robbing you of all opportunity. Now, what's the best opportunity? Best opportunity is to go get rich while numbing the population. Numbing the population and then... You know, I've never seen a bunch of hippies smoking weed start a bar fight, okay? It's always alcohol. It's always some other drug. So what's the best way to—there's a double-edged sword in this, is that they can get filthy rich after they spent decades screwing everyone and putting everyone in the gutter. And now option two is that the way things are heading— with the destruction of small businesses, the destruction of, of people's savings, the surging inflation, they'll just get everyone so stoned and make it so commonplace that everyone's just rolling around high off their asses, driving a forklift for Amazon, saying, ah, I guess everything's okay. Everything's fine. Nothing to worry about. These people are dark, twisted, and they only care about how much money they can get off of you. They don't care about the consequences. They don't care about anything that falls on you. A19, please. The opioid epidemic by the numbers. You know, these are people, if you know, if you look at what happened to the Sackler family, the Sackler family was run out of the country. Quite literally, they were run out of the country as a select few people started hammering them and, and punishing them for what they did in, 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 in transpiring the opioid epidemic across the country. They liquidated much of their holdings and fled the country. They actually fled to uh, England. But the opioid, uh, they, 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 they fled, but still left their mark. The opioid epidemic by the numbers. 70,000 people died from drug overdoses in 2019. 10.1 million people misused prescription opioids in the past year. 1.6 million people had an opioid use disorder in the past year. 2 million people used methamphetamine in the past year. And then 50,000 people used heroin for the first time. These, these are 2019 numbers. And now what the establishment did, what the, the big pharma companies did is as soon as opioids became frowned upon, doctors started pulling back. Doctors stopped being as lenient as they were in writing prescriptions. And then you have a person with a crippling, debilitating addiction saying, well, what do I get? I can't go to my pharmacy and refill my prescription. Where do I go? And they went to the street. So you look at places like San Francisco, Nancy Pelosi's kingdom. You look at places like Philly. You look at, as I said, any city across this country, Homelessness is not, is not the crisis. The mental health issue is the crisis. The drug epidemic facilitated by the very same people that are pushing the narrative that they are here to save you is the crisis. You can take that down, Mr. Producer. So that's my take on reparations. And it's not just for black, it's not just for brown. But if the federal government wants to take something and use it for their own financial gain and continue to sell the American public on their naivete that they are here to help us, they're here to benefit us, when time and time again, history has shown itself that these people want nothing to do with helping you. These people want everything to do with maximizing their bottom line off of your pain and suffering. 
my suggestion is, yeah, reparations are great, but just cut it from what's owed to us. Cut it from an industry you spent decades locking people up for. Cut it as a, as a, a write-off from what you did to the American people with the opioid epidemic and everything else that followed. That's my take. Mr. Producer, I'm out of content. So, we actually made it the full hour. That was good timing. With that being said, if you like the show, you can throw that up, Mr. Producer. If you like the show, you can follow us on Rumble. Go to Channel Search. Make sure you're in Channel Search and search the Conservative or Conservative Daily, all one word, and our show, our channel will show up. Subscribe. For every video we put out as you're watching, if you watch it after the fact, please hit the, the Rumble, uh, the up button, not the down button. And if you like listening on other platforms, you can go to Frank Speech, Clout Hub, Twitch, DLive, Rumble, or conservative-daily.com. And again, to help us with the reviews and help us with the rankings, which helps us with the sponsors, which also helps us with bringing you great content that breaks away from the mainstream echo chambers on both sides of the aisle. Go to Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts and give us a good review. We have a few trolls that have hit us with some bad reviews and it brings us down in the rankings. So again, that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbean, and Audible. So that is it for tonight. I'm your host, Jake Frejo. We will see you in the morning at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Thank you.